and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. Ring ting tingling too. It's David Cox. <laughs> and I'm Josh Matheson. Goes ting ting tingling ting ting tingling. They ran out of lyrics at that point. We'll see if we can get some three-part harmonies going by the end of the podcast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this week we are looking at stave four of A Christmas Carol, which doesn't yeah. sound like we're that far through, but this is such a short novella that we are nearing the end already. This nearing is the, the penultimate end. chapter. So last week we met the ghost of Christmas present, who was a lovely, jolly, Hagrid kind of child. And he had a great big bushy beard. Great big bushy beard. He did actually, yeah, I did say that. Yeah, and Scrooge got to see the Christmases that he is currently missing by being a recluse. So it was quite an interesting one because it was like, this is all the mistakes or this is other things that have happened in your past that you maybe should have learned from or some lessons that you should have learned from. But this ghost was showing like, this is how people in your life currently celebrate who you could join and you could actually take part in the merriment with. And I suppose it's quite a voyeuristic ghost as well, because Scrooge got to see what people actually thought of him directly. Yeah, very as eavesdroppy, well. yeah. wally. And then obviously Scrooge was then also taken to working class households around the country we went out to the mines we went out to a lighthouse which obviously was part of dickens's largest social commentary of trying to put a spotlight on the working class and poverty but showing that even though there might be poverty and squalor there was still a joy and a heart and a merriment to enjoying christmas as well so it's like they might enjoy it in a slightly more humble way but the spirit of the season is the same no matter what you earn or what your income is. And you got the, in the Cratchit household, you had that real sort of appreciation and they were going, oh, it's the best goose I've ever seen. And he's like, what? Uh, you you kidding me? Yeah. But this is but this is the thing. It is this kind of, even though they don't have a lot and that it would be very easy for them to sit there and go, other people have better gooses than us. Oh, woe is me. If they're not doing that. They're being very grateful for what they have, knowing that there is probably someone two doors down that's even worse off than they are. Mm. And it was very humbling for both the reader and also Scrooge. You saw that there was a bit of a softening in Scrooge when he saw these scenes, actually taking an interest in his employee's life. He's like, how many years has Bob Cratchit worked at Scrooge's? And he's never once asked him about his kids or his family. Or <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's just like... <laughs> I bet Bob Cratch is really glad there isn't a Christmas party at Marley and Scrooge because what would, would, the, be what would that Christmas most... party be like? I know. <laughs> Just the two of them go. So, what are you doing over the festival? Bar humbug. Okay. Yeah. See you next year. <laughs> <laughs> you get. You get it. like. You get a voucher for a copy of the Sunday Times <laughs> in a plain card. It's like a cup of water and one lame bit of tinsel like, draped over yeah. the door. You get to take yeah. the uh, the leftover milk in the fridge home. <laughs> what would the food off. be? What the, oh, like, like porridge. Yeah, gruel, probably. Porridge with like just Scrooge. With some and one shriveled carrot. Mm. Well, since Scrooge was eating gruel himself for supper, I would not put gruel past him. Yeah, he, he loves it. He's... Oh, he doesn't know how to enjoy life, does he? He's a bit like, ugh. It's one of those things where you watch people. Yeah, I don't know if you ever have this feeling where you see people who have money and they just seem to squander having money. Do you know what I mean? Like you're like yeah. you could be doing so much more with this, and yet you choose to do something really dull and boring and mundane. Yeah, <laughs> which is why, although it's like, oh, I hate people who waste money. At the same time, it is really funny to see ultra rich people do stupid things with their money, just because you go, well, well, yeah, they've they've got ridiculous amounts of it, and it almost makes it a lot more interesting <laughs> when you find out that someone spent a ridiculous amount of money hiring Mariah Carey to sing for their three-year-old's birthday party or something. And you're is like, that what you would not? do, Matt? Oh, is yeah. that what you would do? Oh, I'd hire her as a permanent backing singer and be like... Get, get her on retainer. I'd be like, you're backing. <laughs> I'd be like, go, so Mariah, I'm the star, you're the backer. <laughs> I don't think that would go down very well. <laughs> Probably not, no, but you know. Right, so the next chapter, I believe, will be... Is it the third of the three spirits? 
if uh, I'm going, you'd think, you'd think wouldn't you? Oh, is he throwing a curveball at us? Well, not really. It's just uh, it's entitled "The Last of the Spirit." Oh, okay. That that does sound better than the third of the three spirits. Yeah, it does. <laughs> That's, That's probably why he did that. <laughs> he thought about that, didn't he? That's why Dickens is the writer, and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Do you reckon? When they, I reckon they just like they just sit down in the um, downstairs like living room. They just wait to go, and like one comes back in. You're like, how was that? That'd be quite a fun scene to write. So they've guessed. Uh, um, Christmas Christmas pass comes in. He's like, "How was that?" Yeah, it was alright. He's a bit, you know. <laughs> have you got any advice? Yeah, is this well, is this them crossing in their shift crossover? Like, yeah, good luck. High five. One of them's <laughs> clocking out, and the other one's clocking yeah. in. Like <laughs> Christmas pass just comes down. It's like <laughs> you've got your work cut out for you tonight. <laughs> and and then they're like, "Where's Christmas present?" Oh, Christmas present's dead again. <laughs> again. Yeah. Right. So we dive into stage four then. Yeah, all right. I think that's a good idea. Makes it's going to be really interesting to see because a lot of the adaptations, the Ghost of Christmas Future just points and doesn't really say anything. So yeah, I'm intrigued like to Reaper. see how you're going to bring this to life for us, Josh. Hopefully I will endeavour to do help. so. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Stave four. The last of the spirits. The phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached. When it came near him, Scrooge bent down upon his knee, for in the very air through which this spirit moved, it seemed to scatter gloom and mystery. It was shrouded in a deep black garment, which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible, save one outstretched hand. But for this... It would have been difficult to detach its figure from the night and separate it from the darkness by which it was surrounded. He felt that it was tall and stately when it came beside him and that its mysterious presence filled him with a solemn dread. He knew no more, for the spirit neither spoke nor moved. Just like lurking like a... Creep. He's, he's been ghosted. <laughs> I am in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come, said Scrooge. The spirit answered not, but pointed onward with its hand. You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in a time before us, Scrooge pursued. Is that so, spirit? The upper portion of the garment was contracted for an instant in its folds, as if the spirit had inclined its head. That was the only answer he received. Although well used to ghostly company by this time, Scrooge feared the silent shape so much that his legs trembled beneath him, and he found that he could hardly stand when he prepared to follow it. The spirit paused a moment, as observing his condition and giving him time to recover. But Scrooge was all the worse for this. It thrilled him with a vague, uncertain horror to know that, behind the dusky shroud, there were ghostly eyes intently fixed upon him, while he, though he stretched his own to the utmost, could see nothing but a spectral hand and one great heap of black. Ghost of the future, he exclaimed. I fear you more than any spectre I have seen. But as I know, your purpose is to do me good. And as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear you company. And to do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. The hand was pointed straight before them. Bleed on, said Scrooge. Bleed on, the night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me, I know. Lead on, spirit. The phantom moved away as it had come towards him. Scrooge followed in the shadow of its dress, which bore him up, he thought, and carried him along. They scarcely seemed to enter the city, for the city rather seemed to spring up about them and encompass them of its own act. But there they were in the heart of it, on change, amongst the merchants, 
who hurried up and down and chinked the money in their pockets and conversed in groups and looked at their watches and trifled thoughtfully with their great gold seals and so forth, as Scrooge had seen them often. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of businessmen. Observing that the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge advanced to listen to their talk. And then we get the voice of, and I quote, a great fat man with a monstrous chin. (laughs) (laughs) Could you make him like, um, um, is it uh, Goofy from, uh, is that Disney or Looney Tunes? It's Disney. Isn't Goofy like, (laughs) could you make him a real Goofy like that? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can, if you'd like me to. This might be quite a depressing state, quite quite okay. dark. So just one little bit of a little beacon of light in one character. Because there are three people having a conversation here, and I don't want to interrupt the flow again. Should we just assign all three? Just just do them at different pitches. For one could be up here, and one could be down there, and the other could be <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> no, good, right, okay. We just cast like the three bears as <laughs> three I people. Think, yeah, we kind of have, yeah. <laughs> Yes. No, said the great fat man with a monstrous chin. I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. <laughs> it's, they're saying something so morbid. Yeah. <laughs> when did he die? <laughs> Inquired another. That wasn't accurate to the brief, but I'm going to stick with it. I mean, it's obviously a different person, so that's fine. (laughs) Last night, I believe. Why, what's the matter with him? (laughs) Asked the third, taking a vast quantity of snuff out of a very large snuff box. I thought he'd never die. (laughs) Why, I ought to... (laughs) (laughs) God knows, said the first with a yawn. What has he done with his money? Asked the red-faced gentleman with a pendulous excrescence on the end of his nose that shook like the gills of a turkey cock. Uh, Do you want to look up excrescence? A distinct outgrowth on a body or plant resulting from disease or abnormality. And it's a pendulous one, so it swings. So he's got turkey neck on his nose. He's got, he's like got a... turkey neck on the end of his nose. <laughs> That's correct. I haven't heard, said the man with the large chin, yawning again. Left it to his company, perhaps. He hasn't left it to me. That's all I know. This pleasantry was received with a general laugh. It's likely to be a very cheap funeral, said the same speaker, for upon my life I don't know of anybody to go for it. Suppose we make up a party and volunteer. I don't mind going if a lunch is provided, observed the gentleman with the excrescence on his nose, but I must be fed if I make one. Another laugh. Well, I am the most disinterested among you after all, said the first speaker, for I never wear black gloves and I never eat lunch. But I'll offer to go if anybody else will. When I come to think of it, I'm not at all sure that I wasn't his most particular friend, for we used to stop and speak whenever we met. Bye-bye, yuck! The speakers and listeners strolled away and mixed with other groups. Scrooge knew the men and looked toward the spirit for an explanation. The phantom glided on into a street. Its finger pointed on two persons meeting. Scrooge listened again, thinking that the explanation might lie here. He knew these men also perfectly. They were men of business very wealthy and of great importance. He had made a point, always, of standing well in their esteem, in a business point of view, that is, 
strictly in a business point of view. And then we have these other two businessmen who are having a conversation. Do one as the old-timey newsman, American newsman, and one as a British football commentator. Okay. (laughs) How are you? said one. How are you? returned the other. Well, said the first, old Scratch has got his own at last, hey? Yeah, so I'm told, returned the second. (laughs) Cold, isn't it? Seasonable for Christmas time. You are not a skater, I suppose. (laughs) The energy levels between these two people is really funny. (laughs) No, no. Something else to think of. Good morning. An absolute bore. (laughs) Not another word. That was their meeting, their conversation and their parting. Scrooge was at first inclined to be surprised that the spirit should attach importance to conversations apparently so trivial, but feeling assured that they must have some hidden purpose, he set himself to consider what it was likely to be. They could scarcely be supposed to have any bearing on the death of Jacob, his old partner, for that was past, and this ghost's province was the future. Nor could he think of anyone immediately connected with himself to whom he could apply them. But nothing doubting that, to whomsoever they applied, they had some latent moral for his own improvement, he resolved to treasure up every word he heard, and everything he saw, and especially to observe the shadow of himself when it appeared. For he had an expectation that the conduct of his future self would give him the clue he missed and would render the solution of these riddles easy. He looked about in that very place for his own image, but another man stood in his accustomed corner, and though the clock pointed to his usual time of day for being there, he saw no likeness of himself among the multitudes that poured in... Ah, He saw no likeness of himself among the multitudes that poured in through the porch. It gave him little surprise, however, for he had been resolving in his mind a change of life, and thought and hoped he saw his newborn resolution carried out in this. Quiet and dark, beside him stood the phantom, with its outstretched hand. When he roused himself from his thoughtful quest, he fancied, from the turn of the hand and its situation in reference to himself, that the unseen eyes were looking at him keenly. It made him shudder and feel very cold. They left the busy scene and went into an obscure part of the town where Scrooge had never penetrated before, although he recognised its situation and its bad repute. The ways were foul and narrow, the shops and houses wretched, the people half-naked, drunken, slipshod, ugly. Alleys and archways, like so many cesspools, disgorged their offences of smell and dirt and life upon the straggling streets, and the whole quarter reeked with crime, with filth and misery. So hearing that description, where do you think that is in London? <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't like I, to say. I'm putting my money on soho area, maybe? Yeah, before gentrification. Yeah. Soho pre-gentrification. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The half-naked and drunken kind of still applies today. That's true. <laughs> That's the thing about London. They can coexist. It's so true. Smart and bouginess. Far in this den of infamous resort, there was a low-browed, beetling shop below a penthouse roof where iron, old rags, bottles, bones and greasy offal were brought. Upon the floor within were piled up heaps of rusty keys, nails, chains, hinges, files, scales, weights, and refuse iron of all kinds. Secrets that few would like to scrutinise were bred and hidden in mountains of unseemly rags, masses of corrupted fat, and sepulchres of bones. A small room or monument cut in rock or built stone which a dead person is laid or buried. It's a crypt. Sitting in among the wares he dealt in by a charcoal stove made of old bricks was a grey-haired rascal, nearly 70 years of age, 
who had screened himself from the cold air without by a frowsy curtaining of miscellaneous tatters hung upon a line, and smoked his pipe in all the luxury of calm retirement. Scrooge and the Phantom came into the presence of this man just as a woman with a heavy bundle slunk into the shop. But she had scarcely entered when another woman, similarly laden, came in too, and she was closely followed by a man in faded black, who was no less startled by the sight of them than they had been on the recognition of each other. After a short period of blank astonishment, in which the old man with the pipe had joined them, all three burst into a laugh. So I'm looking for voices for the woman who comes in first. So can we do like an old school Lamey's washerwoman? Just her talking. Yeah. That kind of, I've had a hard life and I, and I make a grift for a living. Let the charwoman alone to be the first, cried she who had entered first. Let the laundress alone to be the second and let the undertaker's man alone to be the third. Look here, old Joe. Here's a chance. If we haven't all three met here without meaning it. And then old Joe, who presumably is the proprietor, speaks. But if he's old, could he just be really slow? <laughs> and yeah, I don't on, want then. this to take more than... <laughs> We've been long episodes, but still. <laughs> oh, I heard there was... David would really like me to stretch this out. Yeah. It's just not long enough. <laughs> and and kind of throw a few... <sighs> in between. Okay. Is he... <laughs> like a little mouth noise uh, old people mouth noise here and there dry mouth should he be- <laughs> yeah <laughs> dry mouth is good <clears throat> and should and should he be an old <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> and should he <sighs> and should he <laughs> This is horrible. Um, Everyone's going to be pulling their headphones out. Yeah. And should he be what? Like, an, should he be an old Irishman or something? Did you want? Oh, you want to come to my shop, do you? <laughs> yeah, do that. Yeah, why not? Okay, so really old, really slow, lots of horrible noises, and Irish. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna go for a. I'm gonna see if I can go for a Dubliner. Oh, okay. You couldn't have met in a better place to find Starfinger. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, what did he write there, Dickens? I thought we've added that. <laughs> Said old Joe, removing his pipe from his mouth. Come into the parlour. <laughs> <laughs> you were made free of it long ago, you know, and the other two aren't strangers. Um, <laughs> I didn't like that one. Stop till I shut the door of the shop. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> How it screeks. There ain't such a rusty bit of metal in the place as its own hinges, I believe. <laughs> and I'm sure there's no such old bones here as mine. <laughs> <laughs> We're all suitable to our calling. We're well matched. Come into the parlour. Come into the parlour. <laughs> I love that the person we gave the slowest voice to had like the most lines out of yeah, anyone yeah, so far this Lord, Dave. <laughs> Always the way. Yeah. The parlour was the space behind the screen of rags. The old man raked the fire together with an old stair-rod, and having trimmed his smoky lamp, for it was night, with the stem of his pipe, put it into his mouth again. While he did this, the woman who had already spoken threw her bundle on the floor and sat down in a flaunting manner on a stool, crossing her elbows on her knees and looking with a bold defiance at the other two. What odds, then? What odds, Mrs. Dilber? said the woman. Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. And then the laundress is the second woman speaks. 
What's that kind of like cranky kind of like? We're going to give it to the returning! Kind of like, you know, like a Punch and Judy. I'm like. sorry. <laughs> I didn't get that either. No, do you know, like a Muppet. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't there like a Muppet who talks like that? Me, 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 me. Beaker. No, not that one. No, but like a cranky kind of like lady, but do it in your falsetto like that kind of. <laughs> what's, what's what's the, yeah, it has a slight parrot quality to it. Yeah, just like a. What's the so, first line? Uh, it's. That's true indeed. That's true indeed. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I can try. I didn't think uh, we'd be having so much fun with this, Dave. We've actually probably like been able to assign. <laughs> Good grief! We're like in the drug dens of London. Like yeah. we're in Nocturne Alley over Everybody's here. Everybody's yeah. high yeah. and drunk and like down and out. So it's like there are no rules. Yeah. That's true indeed. Said the laundress. <laughs> no man, more so. I love that you came up with the perfect voice for my terrible description. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. <clears throat> Why then, don't stand staring as if you were afraid, woman. Who's the wiser? We're not going to pick holes in each other's coats, I suppose. No, indeed, said Mrs. Dilber and the man together. We should hope not. Very well, then, cried the woman. That's enough. Who's the worse for the loss of a few things like these? Not a dead man, I suppose. No, indeed, said Mrs. Dilber, laughing. <coughs> if he wanted to keep him after he was dead, a wicked old screw, pursued the woman. Why wasn't he natural in his lifetime? And if he had been, he'd have had somebody to look after him when he was struck with death instead of lying gasping out his last there all by himself. It's the truest word he ever spoke, said Mrs Dilber. It's a judgment on him. I wish it was a little heavier judgment, replied the woman. And it should have been. You may depend on it. If I could have laid my hands on anything else... Open that bundle, old Joe, and let me know the value of it. Speak out, plain. I'm not afraid to be the first, nor afraid for them to see it. We know pretty well that we were helping ourselves before we met here, I believe. It's no sin. Open the bundles, Joe. Oh, so is that why they were all surprised when they saw each other at the same pawn shop? Because they've all caught them each other robbing, or maybe they know of each other as breaker and enterers. Yeah, they're all aware that they've nicked stuff. I guess they've they just happened to have turned up to sell it at the same yeah, time. Yeah, and they've all cased the same house, and they've all turned up at the same shop to sell it. <laughs> but the gallantry of her friends would not allow of this, and the man in faded black, mounting the breach first, produced his plunder. It was not extensive, a seal or two, a pencil case, a pair of sleeve buttons, and a brooch of no great value were all. It sounds like he's raided Woolworths. It's <laughs> 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 the most random group of stuff ever. I've got a protractor, and I've got... <laughs> and a, a, a Barhamen CD. <laughs> yeah. And what's left of me pick-a-mix, but I've got a package on the way here. That's where he started in life, pick-a-mix, and then descended. Pick-a-mix. They were severally examined and appraised by old Joe, who chalked the sums he was disposed to give for each upon the wall, and added them up into a total when he found that there was nothing more to come. That's your account, said Joe, and I wouldn't give another sixpence if I was to be boiled for not doing it. Who's next? <coughs> Mrs. Dilber was next. Sheets and towels, a little wearing apparel, two old-fashioned silver teaspoons, a pair of sugar tongs, and a few boots. Her account was stated on the wall in the same manner. I always give too much to ladies. It's a weakness <laughs> of mine, and that's the way I ruin myself. <coughs> said old Joe. That's your account. If you asked me for another penny and made it an open question, 
I'd repent of being so liberal and knock off half a crown. And now undo my bundle, Joe, said the first woman. Joe went down on his knees for the greater convenience of opening it, and having unfastened a great many knots, dragged out a large, heavy roll of some dark stuff. What do you call this? (coughs) said Joe. Bed curtains? Ah! returned the woman, laughing and leaning forward on her crossed arms. Bed curtains! You don't mean to say you took em down rings and all with him lying there, <coughs> said Joe. Yes, I do, replied the woman. Why not? You were born to make your fortune, <coughs> said Joe, and you'll certainly do her. I certainly shan't hold my hand when I can get anything in it by reaching it out for the sake of such a man as he was, I promise you, Joe, returned the woman coolly. Don't drop that oil upon the blankets now. His blankets, (coughs) said Joe. Who else's, do you think? replied the woman. He isn't likely to take cold without him, I dare say. I hope he didn't die of anything catching, eh? said old Joe, stopping in his work and looking up. Don't you be afraid of that, returned the woman. I ain't so fond of his company that I'd loiter about him for such things if he did. Ah, You may look through that shirt till your eyes ache, but you won't find a hole in it nor a threadbare place. It's the best he had and a fine one too. They'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me. What do you call wasting of it? asked old Joe. Putting it on him to be buried in, to be sure, replied the woman with a laugh. Somebody was fool enough to do it, but I took it off again. If calico ain't good enough for such a purpose, it ain't good enough for anything. It's quite as becoming to the body he can't look uglier than he did in that one. Scrooge listened to this dialogue in horror, as they sat grouped about their spoil in the scanty light afforded by the old man's lamp. He viewed them with the detestation and disgust which could hardly have been greater, though they had been obscene demons marketing the corpse itself. I'm just trying to work out if she's taking it off of him or if she's just taking it out of the wardrobe. I'm hoping it's the wardrobe. Otherwise, Scrooge is going to be sitting there going, she saw me naked. That would be the funniest thing. Like, actually, go to, they like dig open the corpse. She's just there, just covering his privates. She's a skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> As if there was no more dignity in this novel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it is just a shirt that from that he would have been, that could have been chosen as his like. Okay, so she's just grabbed the best shirt out of the wardrobe and gone. I think so. They'll probably bury him in there, so I'm going to nick it before they can just bury it. Yeah. It's amazing how valuables have completely changed, haven't they? Yeah. These guys just seem to have just gone for soft furnishings, like blankets and curtains. Like the only time robbers nowadays take bedding is if they're using your pillowcases as bags to carry all of your stuff away in. <laughs> 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 Laughed the same old woman when old Joe, producing a flannel bag with money in it, told out their several gains upon the ground. This is the end of it, you see. He frightened everyone away from him when he was alive to profit us when he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> I think the laugh's appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> Spirit, said Scrooge, shuddering from head to foot. I see. I see. The case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life tends that way now. Merciful heaven, what is this? He recoiled in terror, for the scene had changed, and now he almost touched the bed, a bare, uncurtained bed, on which, beneath a ragged sheet, there lay a something covered up, which, though it was dumb, announced itself in awful language. The room was very dark, too dark to be observed with any accuracy. 
though Scrooge glanced round it in obedience to a secret impulse, anxious to know what kind of room it was. A pale light, rising in the outer air, fell straight upon the bed, and on it, plundered and bereft, unwatched, unwept, uncared for, was the body of this man. Oh, so he sees his own body. We're guessing this is his body. That must be a really weird experience, isn't it? Seeing yourself dead. Definitely weird. Scrooge glanced toward the phantom. Its steady hand was pointed to the head. The cover was so carelessly adjusted that the slightest raising of it, the motion of a finger upon Scrooge's part, would have disclosed the face. He thought of it, felt how easy it would have been to do, and longed to do it, but had no more power to withdraw the veil than to dismiss the spectre at his side. Oh, cold, cold, rigid, dreadful death! Set up thine altar here, and dress it with such terrors as thou hast at thy command, for this is thy dominion. But of the loved, revered, and honoured head thou canst not turn one hair to thy dread purposes, or make one feature odious. It is not that the hand is heavy, and will fall down when released. It is not that the heart and pulse are still, but that the hand was open, generous and true, the heart brave, warm and tender, and the pulse a man's. Strike, shadow, strike, and see his good deeds springing from the wound to sow the world with life immortal. No voice pronounced these words in Scrooge's ears, and yet he heard them when he looked upon the bed. He thought, if this man could be raised up now, what would be his foremost thoughts? Avarice, hard-dealing, griping cares. They have brought him to a rich end, truly. He lay in the dark, empty house, with not a man, a woman, or a child to say that he was kind to me in this or that, and for the memory of one kind word I will be kind to him. A cat was tearing at the door, and there was a sound of gnawing rats beneath the hearthstone. What they wanted in the room of death, and why they were so restless and disturbed, Scrooge did not dare to think. Spirit, he said, This is a fearful place. In leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson, trust me. Let us go. Still, the ghost pointed with an unmoved finger to the head. I understand you, Scrooge returned, and I would do it if I could. But I have not the power, spirit. I have not the power. Again, it seemed to look upon him. If there is any person in the town who feels emotion caused by this man's death, said Scrooge, quite agonised, show that person to me, spirit, I beseech you. The phantom spread its dark robe before him for a moment, like a wing, and withdrawing it, revealed a room by daylight, where a mother and her children were. She was expecting someone, and with anxious eagerness, for she walked up and down the room, started at every sound, looked out from the window, glanced at the clock, tried but in vain to work with her needle, and could hardly bear the voices of her children in their play. At length the long-expected knock was heard. She hurried to the door and met her husband, a man whose face was careworn and depressed, though he was young. There was a remarkable expression in it now, a kind of serious delight of which he felt ashamed and which he struggled to repress. He sat down to the dinner that had been hoarding for him by the fire, and when she asked him faintly what news, which was not until after a long silence, he appeared embarrassed how to answer. There's a conversation between these two people. Could we make them both, like, Yorkshire? Yeah. Of course we can. 
And then just I know that's really them, plain two, and yeah. boring. Yeah, but, but just had a bit of a succession of bonkers. Well, yeah, I feel like this is going to be quite a serious conversation as well. Like it's it, we're starting to get to like the crux of the matter now. Yeah. Is it good? She said. Not bad. To help him. Bad. He answered. We are quite ruined. No. There is hope yet, Caroline. If he relents, she said, amazed, there is. Nothing is past hope if such a miracle has happened. He is past relenting, said her husband. He is dead. She was a mild and patient creature, if her face spoke truth, but she was thankful in her soul to hear it and she said so with clasped hands. She prayed forgiveness the next moment, and was sorry, but the first was the emotion of her heart. What the half-drunken woman, who I told you of last night, said to me when I tried to see him and obtain a week's delay, and what I thought were a mere excuse to avoid me, turns out to have been quite true. He was not only very ill, but dying, then. To whom will our debt be transferred? I don't know. But before that time, we shall be ready with the money. And even if we were not, it would be bad fortune indeed to find so merciless a creditor in his successor. We may sleep tonight with light hearts, Caroline. Yes. Soften it as they would, their hearts were lighter. The children's faces hushed and clustered round to hear what they so little understood, were brighter, and it was a happier house for this man's death. The only emotion that the ghost could show him, caused by the event, was one of pleasure. Let me see some tenderness connected with a death, said Scrooge, or that dark chamber spirit with which we left just now will be forever present to me so many adaptions make the fact that scrooge doesn't know that it's him Mm. quite kind of funny and like ironic or do you know what i mean like you have the musical version where you got scrooge tap dancing through the street with everybody else going thank you very much thank you very 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 much and what's kind of great about this book is is that it's actually showing the real side of of grief or the the reality of people in this position mm-hmm. where you have good people who are in debt and these people are grateful that they they've gotten some reprise from that but then also feeling terrible for being grateful for the fact that somebody's died the guilt comes through doesn't it yeah the guilt really comes through but also the fact that this was the spirit's response to show me something positive that came from this Oh, that's what you've got. That's really, that's it. All you can come up with? Gosh. But that must be such a horrible experience to basically be like the most positive impact I can have on the world is not being part of it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's... That's sobering, isn't it? If that's not a wake-up call, I don't know what (laughs) is. The ghost conducted him through several streets familiar to his feet and as they went along, Scrooge looked here and there to find himself, but nowhere was he to be seen. They entered poor Bob Cratchit's house, the dwelling he had visited before, and found the mother and the children seated round the fire. Quiet. Very quiet. The noisy little Cratchits were as still as statues in one corner, and sat looking up at Peter who had a book before him. The mother and her daughters were engaged in sewing, but surely they were very quiet. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. Where had Scrooge heard those words? He had not dreamed them. The boy must have read them out, as he and the spirit crossed the threshold. Why did he not go on? The mother laid her work upon the table and put her hand up to her face. The colour hurts my eyes, she said. The colour 
Ah, poor Tiny Tim. They're better now again, said Cratchit's wife. It makes them weak by candlelight. I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home for the world. It must be near his time. Past it, rather, Peter answered, shutting up his book. But I think he's walked a little slower than he used these last few evenings, mother. They were very quiet again. At last, she said, in a steady, cheerful voice that only faltered once. I have known him to walk with I have known him to walk with tiny Tim on his shoulder very fast indeed. And so have I, cried Peter. Often. And so have I, exclaimed another. So had all. But he was very light to carry, she resumed, intent upon her work, and his father loved him so that it was no trouble. No trouble. And there is your father at the door. She hurried out to meet him, and little Bob in his comforter, he had need of it, poor fellow, came in. His tea was ready for him on the hob, and they all tried who should help him to it most. Then the two young Cratchits got upon his knees and laid each child a little cheek against his face, as if they said, Don't mind it, father. Don't be grieved. Bob was very cheerful with them, and spoke pleasantly to all the family. He looked at the work upon the table, and praised the industry and speed of Mrs Cratchit and the girls. They would be done long before Sunday, he said. Sunday. You went today, then, Robert? said his wife. Yes, my dear, returned Bob. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green the place is. But you'll see it often. I promised him that I'd walk there on Sunday. My little child, cried Bob. My little child. He broke down all at once. He couldn't help it. If he could have helped it, he and his child would have been farther apart, perhaps, than they were. He left the room and went upstairs into the room above, which was lighted cheerfully and hung with Christmas. There was a chair set close beside the child, and there were signs of someone having been there lately. Poor Bob sat down in it, and when he had thought a little and composed himself, he kissed the little face. He was reconciled to what had happened, and went down again quite happy. They drew about the fire and talked, the girls and mother working still. Bob told them of the extraordinary kindness of Mr Scrooge's nephew, whom he had scarcely seen but once, and who, meeting him in the street that day, and seeing that he looked a little, just a little down, you know, said Bob, inquired that he had happened to distress him. On which, said Bob, for he is the pleasantest spoken gentleman you ever heard I told him. I am heartily sorry for it, Mr Cratchit, he said, and heartily sorry for your good wife. By the by, how he ever knew that, I don't know. Knew what, my dear? Knew that you were a good wife, replied Bob. Everybody knows that, said Peter. Very well observed, my boy, cried Bob. I hope they do. Heartily sorry, he said, for your good wife. If I can be of service to you in any way, he said, give me his card. That's where I live. Pray come to me. Now it wasn't, cried Bob, for the sake of anything he might be able to do for us, so much as his kind way, that this was quite delightful. It really seemed as if he had known our tiny Tim and felt with us. I'm sure he's a good soul, said Mrs Cratchit. You would be sure of it, my dear, returned Bob, if you saw and spoke to him. I shouldn't be at all surprised. Mark what I say, if he got Peter a better situation. Only hear that, Peter, said Mrs Cratchit. And then, cried one of the girls, Peter will be keeping company with someone and setting up for himself. 
Get along with ya, retorted Peter, grinning. It's just as likely as not, said Bob. One of these days, no, there's plenty of time for that, my dear. But however and whenever we part from one another, I am sure we shall none of us forget poor tiny Tim, shall we? Or this first parting that there was among us. Never, father, cried they all. And I know, said Bob, I know, my dears, that when we recollect how patient and how mild he was, although he was a little, little child, we shall not quarrel easily among ourselves and forget poor tiny Tim in doing it. No, never, father, they all cried again. I am very happy, said little Bob. I am very happy. Mrs Cratchit kissed him. His daughters kissed him. The two young Cratchits kissed him. And Peter and himself shook hands. Spirit of tiny Tim, thy childish essence was from God. Spectre, said Scrooge, something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. I know it, but I know not how. Tell me what man that was whom we saw lying dead. The ghost of Christmas yet to come conveyed him as before, though at a different time, he thought. Indeed, there seemed no order in these latter visions, save that they were in the future, into the resorts of business men, but showed him not himself. Indeed, the spirit did not stay for anything, but went straight on as to the end just now desired, until besought by Scrooge to tarry for a moment. This court, said Scrooge, through which we hurry now, is where my place of occupation is, and has been for a length of time. I see the house. Let me behold what I shall be in the days to come. The spirit stopped. The hand was pointed elsewhere. The house is yonder, Scrooge exclaimed. Why do you point away? The inexorable finger underwent no change. Scrooge hastened to the window of his office and looked in. It was an office still, but not his. The furniture was not the same, and the figure in the chair was not himself. The phantom pointed as before. He joined it once again, and wondering why and whither he had gone, accompanied it until they reached an iron gate. He paused to look around before entering. A churchyard. Here, then, the wretched man whose name he had now to learn lay underneath the ground. It was a worthy place, walled in by houses, overrun by grass and weeds, the growth of vegetation's death, not life, choked up with too much burying, fat with repleted appetite, a worthy place. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. He advanced towards it, trembling. The phantom was exactly as it had been, but he dreaded that he saw new meaning in its solemn shape. Before I draw nearer, to that stone to which you point, said Scrooge. Answer me one question. Are these the shadows of things that will be, or are they shadows of the things that may be only? Still the ghost pointed downward to the grave by which it stood. Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which, if perversed in, they must lead, said Scrooge. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. Say it is thus with what you show me. The spirit was immovable as ever. Scrooge crept towards it, trembling as he went, and following the finger, read upon the stone of the neglected grave his own name, Ebenezer Scrooge. <gasps> <laughs> it was him! It was him all along! Oh, I thought it was going to be some other dude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I do wonder if people actually found that a twist. I don't know if they did or not. 
it's so hard to listen to this book as a completely fresh reader because it's yeah. so well known to us. Yeah. So I do wonder, I would be really intrigued if anybody out there is listening to this story for the very first time. If that was that a, twist a twist and a shock to you, please let us know. I'm just yeah. really intrigued. Yeah, because are there li- there are little clues, and is it one of mm. you know? Because often the author will give the reader uh, more knowledge, and sometimes that's yes. that's quite a nice thing because you en- you enjoy being annoyed or sort of just you you you're excited to wait for the characters to hear what you yes. know. Um, so they you're c- waiting could be for the that. foot to drop. Yeah, I've, someone asked me this the other day. Actually, it doesn't explicitly state what scrooge does for a living does it he's um, i reckon he's a money lender because there's something to do with because the people are in debt so well this is the thing that some versions i've seen he's been a landlord oh it could be do you know what I mean? and so i'm lender, like I he suppose. could be yeah he could be a tenant like those could be tenants that owe him money because they're behind with rent mm. or he could be a loan shark <laughs> like what is it is it Wonga? It's like the yes, yes, he's Wonga. Yeah. Yes, he could be. He could have invented. He's got a payday Wonga. loans. Yeah, payday loans. Yeah, one thousand four hundred and fifty percent APR. <laughs> but but yeah, I it, someone asked me and I was like, do you know what? I don't actually remember it saying what Scrooge and Never Marley were. No. Am I that man who lay upon the bed? He cried upon his knees. The finger pointed from the grave to him and back again. No, spirit, oh no, no! The finger still was there. Spirit, he cried, tight clutching at its robe. Hear me, I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been but for this intercourse. Why show me this if I am past all hope? For the first time, The hand appeared to shake. Good spirit, he pursued, as down upon the ground he fell before it. Your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. The kind hand trembled. I will honour Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Oh, tell me I may sponge away the writing on this stone. In his agony, he caught the spectral hand. It sought to free itself, but he was strong in his entreaty and detained it. The spirit, stronger yet, repulsed him. Holding up his hands in a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down onto a bedpost. End of stave. Turn it to a bedpost. Yeah, that was quite an interesting way you're dropping it down. Because other adaptations I've seen, he falls in a grave. and In my head, what happened there was kind of like, I, I see it filmically, I'm very visual. We sort of zoomed in just on the, the cloaked figure and then it's the, whatever was inside it disappeared. And then as it fell down, it was hung on the end of his bed and he was back in the bedroom. Yeah. I think on the Muppets version or something, he's like in in the grave and then he wakes up kind of wrestling with the curtains yeah in yeah. the darkness so it's like the darkness of the grave enclosed him and then the darkness of the bed encloses him and he's like fighting his way out of the bed the jim carrey one he gets chased in it chased by it like a car chase does he yeah. i've never seen the i've not seen the jim carrey it just turns into bad boys it was always going to be as david said the more somber of the staves it's kind of where all of these bad decisions and these bad morals that Scrooge has had for his entire life kind of come to head. And we suddenly are faced with the reality of consequence. Yeah. I quite like the lesson that perhaps the Cratchit household was teaching because, they, again, they were still somber but positive and they still were tighter as like a family unit. And yeah. I'm wondering what he would have garnered from that. 
also learning about oh god family really is important isn't it i don't have that mm. so even if something really bad happened i'd still you know so i thought that yeah. was an interesting little segment it's kind of almost like a thing of like you can be poor in money but very rich in other things Oh, and absolutely. you could definitely get that sense in terms of the, the the family love, the family unit, the family like ties, the support network that they have for each other makes you actually feel like, you know, they're very rich in that respect. I've pulled up spark notes for this <gasps> chapter. You haven't, have you? That's I a know. good idea. I know, because I'm <laughs> clearly not clever enough to... It's a lazy book club. I, to work my way we through. Get, we, the, our, our, our insight is basically, oh, he needs to learn from his mistakes now, because otherwise he's going to die alone. Yeah. <laughs> That's as deep as we go, without yeah, spark. We go about six feet under. That's how far we go. Yeah. <laughs> so it says here, within the allegory, the silent reaper-like figure of the ghost of Christmas yet to come represents the fear of death, which refracts Scrooge's lessons about memory, empathy, and generosity, ensuring his reversion to an open, loving human being. So it's quite interesting, the word reversion there. They're obviously trying to say that actually this experience, rather than making Scrooge a new man, makes him the man he used to be before greed took hold. Do you see what I mean? Like, that's Sparknotes, that's not Dickens. Yeah. But it's interesting that they've made that point of using that word, reversion. It's reverting him back to... Fezziwig Scrooge of you know celebrating Christmas and generosity and being open-handed and open-hearted. But I like that because then that also that also sort of plants the seed or, or the assumption that that you know that we all start good and pure and mm. we are, it's our choices that may or may not corrupt us. Yeah, or the world or, or, or the world, some yeah. outside influences that can have a profound effect on us. Yeah. yeah. In A Christmas Carol, the fear of death connotes the anticipation of moral reckoning and the inevitable dispensation of punishment and reward, literally the split between heaven and hell. In this way, the ghost of Christmas yet to come briefly interjects a more sombre, strictly Christian perspective into the secularised tale. So I think this chapter, as we've said before with the earlier ones, Dickens paints a very secularised picture of Christmas. It's about family. It's about feasting. It's about merriment. It's about people coming together. Even suffice to say, it's about the food. It's about all of that kind of stuff. Whereas here we have kind of like the moral reckoning, as it were, that hits in this chapter. And this whole thing of the fact of there being a cost to being bad. Is it saying that just by being lonely, vulgar, mean, that he'll die? But if he changes his ways and is really nice, he won't die. But like, what, what it's saying is, oh, it's leading up to something that will kill you. Like, what does he die of? Well, yeah, this is what I've always... I've always he might still was, die. Yeah, I've always, I always thought was odd about this story is... Oh no, as an old man at some point in the future, I'm going to die. So, but the, the, the point is, I think, and I think it's in that, that kind of the knowledge that this is coming from a, from a Christian perspective of the author is important there because I think it's supposed to be representative of kind of like, the, you know, the wages of your, of your sin or your, your choices is death. If you, if you make bad choices, that's what happens yeah. in a more of a symbolic sense. Whereas, uh, and of course, the the repercussions are that he is dead and alone, and has left no, no legacy, and has left and no be joy a Cheney ghost behind. Like, oh, I was, I was about to say legacy. That was literally. I was going to say like that's actually the main change there. You're right. He could probably there is a a chance that he will still die at the exact same time as he did in the other story Version, but yeah. the legacy that he will leave behind will be completely different and the way that he lives on in the hearts and minds of those around like him tiny will be completely tim different exactly because they bang on about tiny tim like he's wonderful yeah i personally found him a bit of a pain <laughs> <laughs> like, but what's also <clears throat> but you can kind of see that tiny tim's future as is kind of intertwined with scrooge's in this stave so what will be interesting also to see is, is as he said in in chap in stave three, you know, tell me the future for this 
uh, Ghost of Christmas Present, I see an empty chair. I see a thing if things carry on the way they are. And the, the obviously the hint there was you have the power to change that as somebody who has material wealth and the ability to pay for these this family to have better food, to pay for them to have better living conditions, to pay for him to be able to see a doctor you have the ability to change that outcome for that person. So yes, maybe the outcome might be the same for Scrooge, but it will have a massive knock-on effect on other people around him, both in how he'll be remembered, but also in their lives. Maybe he might still die, but Tiny Tim might not. And so it's kind of like, I think that that's the point he's kind of leaning more towards. I think a lot of the time people maybe don't give to charity or struggle to give to charity because they don't necessarily see the good their money does. As soon as you see the good the money you have donated does, it makes you want to give more. That's why whenever you see charity appeals and stuff, they don't just go give us your money. They go, this is what we have done with money we have received so far. And this is what your money would go towards. And it's a lot more. it, It makes you want to give a lot more. And this is almost what the ghosts are doing to Scrooge here. It's kind of going, this is what your money could do. This is what your open handedness could do. The ghosts are going to come next year and ask for more money. Yeah. <laughs> so you were giving twelve pounds a month, Mr. Scrooge. You possibly extend Which, fifteen pounds a month, and then you yeah. and then you get to every year, and it's just up to <laughs> a platinum membership. And then it turns out it's a big scam, and the ghosts aren't real. It's a it's Ponzi like... scheme. <laughs> <laughs> and next time, the ghost of Christmas past doesn't come because he's in the Maldives. <laughs> <laughs> they knock on the door like, oh, on a mega yacht, yeah. But I think that that's basically what's kind of happened here to Scrooge. It's kind of like wanting to show him exactly where he could make a difference and opening his eyes actually to from stave one Scrooge of, well, aren't there prisons? Aren't there poor houses? If I give money, then I'm just going to keep giving money and nothing's really going to change because these people are frivolous and these people are... He's been, his eyes have been opened to actually the reality of poverty and how these people aren't living frivolously. They're actually just not given enough in the first place and that's why they are in this destitute place and they are in poverty Mm. and so it's kind of opening his eyes actually to where he can make a difference if you've got any thoughts or comments on this chapter you can message us on the lazy book club at gmail.com or if you want to send us a Christmas tweet, a Christmas tweet, <laughs> our handle is at Lady Book Club Pod. That sounded like Lady Book Club. <laughs> it's at Lazy Book Club Pod, just to clarify. Otherwise, the thing's pointless. Lady Book Club Pod. <laughs> <laughs> we only read lady books. <laughs> Ladyly chatters lover, Emma. <laughs> And we're also on Instagram. We have the same handle there. At Lazy Book Club Pod. At Lazy Book Book Club Club Pod. Why don't you leave us a message? (laughs) Try editing that. that (laughs) Interesting. Interesting harmony is there. Good luck with that. We hope you guys are enjoying your Christmas season so far and staying nice and safe through this whole pandemic. So from all of us here at the Lazy Book Club pod, we wish you a very Merry Christmas. We hope that you have a lovely day. We hope that you will stay safe and follow whatever guidelines in whatever country that you are currently placed in. And if you have a lovely day, we need it. You could leave us five gold rings on (laughs) iTunes or Spotify or Acast, whatever you like to listen to. Oh, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? And we will see you next week. For the last chapter of the last book of the year. Ever. Last chapter. Just then. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.